Good morning, St. Michael's. Please stand. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this opportunity that we have today to come into your presence. That we have opportunity every day of our lives to invite you in and to live our lives with you and for you. We thank you for your faithfulness and your love for us and the confidence that we have in you.
Blessed be God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And blessed be His kingdom, now and forever. Almighty God, you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus said the first commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. As we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Mission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy.
Lord be with you. Let us pray together the Colette. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, increase in us the gifts of faith, hope, and charity that we may obtain what you promise and make us love what you command. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. May be seated. Children will please come forward. Amen. And here is the army <laughs> arriving. Uh, pray with me as we pray for these children as they head down to Sunday school. Hey, kiddo. How are you doing? I'm glad you're here today. Awesome. Let's pray. Put your hands forward and let's pray for these children. Heavenly Father, we are blessed that you have sent such great people here this morning. I ask, Lord, that you would bless. We ask, Lord, that you would bless each and every one of these young people as they go down to learn the things of the Lord, that you would fill their heart, Lord God, watch over them all of their days, fill them with courage and strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, off you go. <laughs> this morning's first lesson comes from Jeremiah chapter 14, beginning at verse 17. Therefore, you shall say this word to them. Let my eyes flow with tears night and day, and let them not cease. For the virgin daughter of my people has been broken with a mighty stroke, with a very severe blow. If I go out to the field, then behold, those slain with the sword. And if I enter the city, then behold, those sick with famine. Yes, both prophet and priest go about in a land they do not know. Have you utterly rejected Judah? Has your soul loathed Zion? Why have you stricken us so that there is no healing for us? We looked for peace, but there was no good. And for the time of healing, and there was trouble. We acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. Do not abhor us for your namesake. Do not disgrace the throne of your glory. Remember, do not break your covenant with us. Are there any among the idols of the nations that can cause rain, or can the heavens give showers? Are you not he, O Lord our God? Therefore we will wait for you, since you have made all these. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the reading of the psalm. This morning's psalm is from Psalm 84. Please respond by the half verse. How lovely is your taber tabernacle. My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living 
Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you. Whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pool. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God inside. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield. And look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk upright. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, it is now, and will be forever. Amen. Our second reading this morning is taken from the second book of Timothy, chapter 4, commencing in verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Glory be to thee, O Lord. St. Luke, chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. 
the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other one. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. We're going to jump back in and continue our series following the Israelites out of Egypt into the desert and heading towards the promised land. Now today, I know we've had a string of stories about the stubbornness and the evilness of the Israelites. Today, we don't get into that much, right? It's, it's present, but it's a little bit less forward. So today is a good day for the Israelites. And what we're going to talk about today is how God establishes his authority for our benefit. That's what we're talking about today. Because I think in our current culture, we really misunderstand authority. I think most of us are pretty sure that the authority is the thing that you try and uh, get away from, that you try and get out from other, that you try to resist, right? That's a really common language, you know, but resist the power, you know, like doing all these things, protest against authority. And that spirit has become almost embedded in each and every American person. That's my argument this morning. We have, it, we have to actually actively resist it. We have to actually actively be transformed in order to understand authority rightly because it's not taught well in the culture that we live in. Now, I will say this, of course. Abuses of authority can lead to some of the most tragic awful situations that any of us will encounter in our entire lives. So it is no wonder that there is something in us that is suspicious of authority. We see it all over the place. And maybe you've been wounded in your past by an authority figure or ways that people have taken advantage of you because of their authority. But today I want you to know that if you Because of your wounding, because of your understanding of the abuses of power and authority, if you just write it off completely, then you're missing out on what God has for you. Not because I think that authority is the end or purpose. Write authority as the end or purpose or you submit to this person because they're in charge. That's not the goal. The goal is that God's authority would reach you through the people he's put in charge of your life. Not even that. Not, I know sometimes we think we're like, it can't be, right? Not my boss. God can't reach me through my authority. The person, that guy's such an awful manager that there's no way God could reach me through that. I know I've been in those situations, but... I'm not going to get too deep into what's said in the New Testament, but those people, the same people who were arresting Christians, putting them to death because they were Christians, 
Paul writes some pretty important words that God himself has put those people in charge to execute his purposes in the earth. So to get back to our story today, what I want you to be thinking about as we're looking through this is, yes, absolutely, authority can be abused. But we have a responsibility to look for godly authority and to look for where God is leading us through the authorities in our life. Even your annoying boss or your corrupt senator or your whatever it is that you have, whoever it is you have a beef with. And if we understand authority are right, then God will be able to bless us. And specifically, I think that what has happened in our current day and age is we have almost completely dismissed the authority of the church, God's government on earth. So let's get into that. That's my challenge. Just think about that as we're looking through this story. And let's see if we can learn anything about how we're supposed to posture ourselves in the world. Okay, we'll start in Exodus chapter 17, beginning in verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. A little aside, he chose men, not women, to go fight. There's a principle throughout the Bible that men actually have a different role than women. That is integrally bound with this idea of authority. So it will be important as we move forward. That's just a little hint. Tomorrow, Moses talking to Joshua, I will stand on the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hand, one on one side and the other on the other side. And and so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. You've probably heard this story before if you've been in church. It's likely that you've heard some version of this story, some sermon about it. I'm going to pull out a few things that I think are fascinating about this little tale. First of all, let's remember who we're talking about. We're talking about the Israelites who up until this moment were 400 years slaves in Egypt. These are the same people who then are in the middle of the desert. They are literally looking to God for their daily bread, for any water, because they have no supplies, and a tribe of warriors comes up against them. I'm pretty sure they were kind of scared. I would be. They had no, they had no training. They were not ready for this. But because of the faith of Moses and Joshua, there's no passage here where it's like, and then they cried out in fear. No, Moses said, Joshua, take the men and go fight. And Joshua did so. Praise God. The Israelites are learning. They're learning. They're doing, they're walking it out without the fight before the fight, right? They're trusting that God's going to show up on their behalf. And he does. This is no less than a miracle that these slaves were able to beat this fighting tribe, right? The Amaleks. Here's another point I want to make. Amalek means sinful people. That's what it means, straight up. 
So the ancient church fathers used to interpret this as the same way that we've been talking about this story. It's a story of our fight with sin, our fight with bondage. So how do we conquer our sin? Well, let's look at this story. Two things happen. First of all, Joshua and the men confront the sinful people. So they actually are doing something. They're swinging swords. They're stabbing with spears. They're in the process of doing something. But the reason that they win is because they're doing it with God's authority and blessing as Moses stands on the hill, right? Imagine this scenario. They said, you know what? We're pretty cool, us Israelites. Why don't we just go handle this? Moses, you just stay back in the tents. I don't think it goes very well for them. However, in our own life, we were just down at uh, Carlsbad for a clergy retreat. This is an aside. We were at this little church, and there's a train that goes right next to it. And every time you had to stop because the train was so loud. And so that was yesterday and the day before. So I was just waiting for our version of the train. Instead, we've got things going overhead, apparently. So what would have happened if the Israelites had gone out without the blessing of God on them? They would have been completely overwhelmed. It's obvious because every time Moses' hands came down, the fight went bad with them. They started fighting like slaves, not empowered by the Holy Spirit, by God in that moment. And yet when we face our life, when we come into a challenge, how often do we go to God for our strength? Instead of writing our five-point plan for how we're going to solve this problem that we've come up with in our life. And not only that, how often do we ask our spiritual leaders and authorities to hold us up in our life at that moment? Home group leader your pastor, bishop, you've got Father Ed, Father Lewis, you've got our deacons, me and Phil, you've got many people who would love to hold you up in the ways and places that you are fighting in your life. Just reach out. I think that there's something that we can take away from here. There's an opportunity to look to our authority for God's blessing to flow in our life. I know when I have gone to our rector's council, when I've gone to our authority and asked for prayer, I can't, there's not a single time where God hasn't come through in those scenarios, where God hasn't shown up. And then let's look at what's going on here. What is Moses doing? So what do we typically think of as the posture of prayer? Kneeling with your head bowed, your hands folded, right? That's a typical posture of prayer. Instead, it pictures Moses standing up with his arms outstretched. And we're told that that symbolized, that prefigured the cross of Christ. And the cross of Christ is and was and always will be the power on which we have our victory. The power by which we conquer sin and the enemies that come against us in our life. In fact, uh, it's related to this Psalm 141 verse 2. The lifting up my hands is as the evening sacrifice. And don't you know, Jesus died in the evening with the lifting of his hands, the true, only, perfect sacrifice. So when you encounter those things, what are you doing? Well, there's something for you to do. Those Israelites had to pick up a sword and fight. But you also want to go to God for your strength. You want to plead the cross of Christ in that situation. You want to walk out not in your own authority, but in God's. Truly, it's all about authority. 
and walking in Christ's authority. Here's a quote from Gregory of Nazianzus. I don't know how to actually pronounce that. Uh, It's a little small here, but it says, For my own warfare, however, I am at a loss. Which course to pursue? What alliance? What word of wisdom? What grace to devise? With what panoply to arm myself against the wiles of the wicked one? What Moses did is to conquer him by stretching out his hands upon the mount in order that the cross, thus typified and prefigured, may prevail. Do you have a situation in your life that you cannot conquer? Go to the cross. Because it's already been paid for. It's already been solved. I heard a great, I don't know who said this, but basically the question is, when was your problem that you're facing today solved? 2,000 years ago. When was the price paid? 2,000 years ago. So why do we think we need to pay the price? Why do we beat our heads against the wall trying to solve a problem when Christ wants us to, we're told it's in our weakness that he is made strong in us. So that story is contrasted and supplemented by this following story of the Israelites. So they just conquered the Amaleks. They're getting into the the, the rhythm of living as the people of God. And that's where we go into this uh, second story we're going to address today. And we'll, we'll read starting in verse eight, uh, chapter 18, verse 10. And a little background, we've got this Jethro guy coming along. And if you've seen the cartoon, he's the, he's the father-in-law of Moses. He says, you know, the look through heaven's eyes. You know, he's got this big whole thing around the firelight. Moses ends up marrying his daughter. He's got this priestly aura about him. We're told he actually is a pagan priest, but who recognizes the power of Yahweh. And so we're looking at this guy who's coming in, and he's just coming to visit. He's actually delivering Moses' wife and kids. We don't know when they got separated, but they were visiting with the in-laws. He's coming into town. And this is what Jethro says after Moses tells him what happens in Egypt. Remember all those plagues, those big signs and wonders, the parting of the Red Sea? Moses tells him that story, and this is Jethro's response. We'll start with in Exodus 18. Jethro said, Blessed be Yahweh who has delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. So if you remember, I mean, we've been doing this for a little while, but if you remember, what was Yahweh, God's point in saving the Israelites from Egypt? He said over and over again, my point is so that they may know that I am Yahweh and there is no other God but me who saves. So Jethro, this pagan priest, is the first fruit of what God has done. The first person to actually respond correctly to God's revelation of his saving power. And that prefigures all of us. Most of us are not born into the Jewish tradition, right? Most of us are not born into that that ethnic people of God. But when we encountered God's power to save, we all at some point or another have said yes to him. And that is what God does from Exodus till now is he reveals himself through his saving power, expecting us to be like Jethro and say, now I know that there is no other God but Yahweh. Instead of that, we hear about miracles or we have miraculous signs in our life and in the moment we're like hallelujah and the next day we're like where is god 
The next day we're in traffic and we're yelling at somebody, cursing God's name at them, right? We're, we get so tied up in what we're doing, we forget all of the things that God has done in our life. Or we turn to our other little gods, little g-gods, right? Our money to save us, or our government to save us, or our self-help plan to save us, or our workout plan to save us. I really like to put workout plans in the idle category because then I can ignore them and not do it myself. I know there's a proper way to work out. I'll learn it eventually. Um, I'm happier with just ignoring it for the moment. Uh, So we turn to other gods, but when we read these stories, when we see God conquer the Amalek tribe through these slaves, Israelites, when we see Moses lift up his hands and they win, what we should be thinking in our head is, man, I got to give up all my other gods because only this God saves. So now let's look at God establishing his government for the people because not because he wants all of us to have overlords and you're not good enough. And so you've got to give up your intellect, give up your will to this overlord. No, you'll see he establishes his government so that we might have help in our life. So keep that in mind as we go here. Basically, this guy Jethro, the father-in-law's in town. He's like, you know what? I'm going to go to work with Moses today. I don't know about you, but sometimes like thinking about bringing your in-laws along, that could be a little burdensome. But either way, Jethro comes along and he's going to watch Moses and see what happens. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God when they have a dispute. They come to me and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statues and the law of God. So Jethro's asking some of, he's like, okay, what's going on here? He's trying to understand. We can read it sarcastically, but I, I think he's really trying to say, okay, what are you doing? I want to understand. He's a priest. He's used to being a mediator. So he's asking Moses what's going on. So then Moses replies, and what's Jethro's response? Moses' father-in-law says to him, what you are doing is not good. And every one of us, our ears just shut off when somebody tells us that, Right? Somebody comes into our life, out of the, an in-law, no less, the father of my wife, comes in and tries to tell, what you're doing is not good. I don't know about you, but I know when the authority people in my life, even ones in proper authority, this guy has no authority over Moses. He's just giving advice. But even people who do have authority, when they tell me what you're doing is not good, I've already come up with five reasons why they're wrong. I don't know about you. That's how I respond. Wait, hold on. You haven't thought about it the way that I've thought about it. And Moses has even more right than any of us to think that way. Because what has he been doing? He has been leading the people of Israel. He beat the biggest, baddest country, in the, the Egypt, the superpower. He beat them with the power of God. And with his staff, he split the Red Sea. And God has been showing up for Moses again and again and again. And this pagan priest comes along and tries to tell me how to do my job. He, might have, he could have, like many of us, had a problem with authority. But instead, we're told later, he did all that his father-in-law said. So what does that mean? It means he listened. He didn't shut off at that moment. He listened and he looked for where God might be speaking through this man. 
Now, if Jethro said, what you need to do is you need to make a golden calf, and they can go talk to that golden calf, and then you can help them interact with his idol, you know Moses would have said, that's not right. It's not because Jethro had some power or authority. It's because Moses was listening for God's voice through his father-in-law. Because he was humble enough to listen. We just learned in the gospel that those who are humble will be exalted. But God resists the proud. And so this is what Jethro told Moses. He said, you and the people will certainly wear yourselves out. For this thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God. Bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. So what's going on here? He's basically saying, if you're the only source of God's teaching in the entire people, you're not good enough. You're not going to make it. We all like to be our own personal gods and kingdoms. We like to make our decisions for our family, for our people, for our job. You can't do it alone. If Moses couldn't do it alone, you can't do it alone. And specifically in God's kingdom structure, he never puts people alone. He always sends them with two people or with the council of elders approving them. He puts people in community that his authority might flow in the people of God. And think about it this way. They didn't have a Bible to reference. None of the people of Israel had a place to go to look for the statues and the laws of God. In fact, Moses is the one who, we're told, wrote the initial books of the Bible for us. And so he has to actually remind them of the tradition. He has to remind them of the stories that have come before. He has to remind them of the law of God. It's, not, it's no wonder that they're coming to him for these judgments, but he can't do it alone. And so we know what's coming, right? You need to build up a team of people who are going to help you in this thing. But first, you have to do something else. And this is really fascinating because it totally parallels what we, what we believe in the authority of the church today with our bishops, priests, and deacons. First, what does Moses have to do? He shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. So what does that mean? He has to pray for the people. The leader of God's people's first responsibility is to pray for the people, to bring them before God. And secondly, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. The leader of the people of God, his responsibilities are to pray for the people and to teach the people. That's the authority of the bishop. That's what he's responsible for. He oversees and, and administers by God's grace the prayer and the teaching of the people. And don't you know he does a great job? We are so blessed to have that. But that model is deeply embedded in what God brought for his kingdom. And you know, what's the smallest unit of God's government in his kingdom? Outside of the church, we have the family. The father is the priest of his household. Guess what the father's responsible for? To pray for his family and to teach his family the ways of God. It goes all the way down. God's built it into the structure of how we are meant to be. If you're exporting the teaching of the Bible to the school you send your children to or to the uh, church or the small group or the youth group and you aren't taking any responsibility for that, 
you're abdicating your authority God-given in your family to teach your family. Absolutely, you want your, you know, you may not be the Bible scholar, and so you're excited for your kid to study under this Bible scholar or this great program, and that's how they get built up, 100%. But don't abdicate the authority and the responsibility you've been given for your family. And not just for your kids. Did you know husbands are responsible for their wives? That's a really scary thing to say in this day and age. I couldn't get away with saying that in certain forums in our day and age. Yeah, no, husbands actually have a responsibility to lay their lives down for their wives because they've been given authority over their life. The highest authority in the church is Jesus. What did he do? He died on the cross. What does it say in the New Testament about husbands? They should love their wives the same way Christ loved the church. That means you are willing to die for them. But it also comes with a responsibility to use your authority to teach them, to pray for them, to bring them before God. I don't have time to get into any more complexity on this subject. We're going to wrap this up, get through some of this. But what is God's authority for in our life? It's to bring his blessing, his leadership in our life. So what is our job? Our job is to look for God's word, to listen for God's word in the authority he has placed in our life. And if you've been put in a position of authority, your job is to love the people you're over, lay your life down for them, and take responsibility, praying for them, and trying to raise them in the ways of the Lord. And that's what God's establishing for his people. But Moses can't do it alone, and neither can you. So what does he tell them to do? Look for able men from all the people who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide for themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all this people will also go to their place in peace. That's a promise I want for us today. If we follow the government of God, then we will go to our place in peace. What does that mean? I've, I've chipped away at this big subject in this sermon. I'm not going to go deeper than I've already gone, but... I think we have a lot to learn as individualist Americans about submitting to authority. And my challenge to you today is to actually ask yourself, who's in authority over my life? It might be easy at your work, right? Oh, it's my boss, my supervisor, whatever. Ask God how you can submit well to them. Ask God how he's leading you through them. Maybe in your family. Maybe you're a wife. Are you looking to your husband as your authority? Maybe you're a child. Are you honoring your father and mother who are trying to raise you in the ways of the Lord? But all of us are a part, are called to be a part of this church family. How are you looking to the church authority God's put in your life? Mostly, I think our job is to ask for help more. That's my challenge to us today. Is like when you get to a challenge in your life, who do you call? Hopefully you've got one of us on your side praying for you, lifting you up before the Lord, giving you counsel. I know the men that lead this church, and they would love to have those conversations. Don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. 
You just can't. We're going to end there. So let me just pray for us today. Lord, I pray that even as you established your government and the people of God in Exodus, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the places you are looking to lead us and guide us through those people you've put in authority in our lives. Help us to look to you not only as the independent lords of our own life, but willing to lay our lives down in fellowship and community as the people of God seeking your will in our lives. And Lord, I pray for the leadership of this church that you would encourage them, build them up, and give them the opportunity and the wherewithal and the discernment to lead us rightly. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In the family and the church is that family comes together with the church and, and uh, we conduct the baptism. So, let me uh, come down here. And all their friends and family, is that right? <laughs> At least the family. Yeah, everybody. Uh, Bring up the crowd. Everybody wants to come down here. With we got them. everybody. We're missing the baby. <laughs> There's They're nothing. Just getting ready. It's like the the pinnacle of just greatness when it's your own family that uh, you have the opportunity to participate in this. <laughs> I remember, uh, where was we? Too. I think books. it was winter when we were down at the, the river. She went, she went running around and dove in in remembrance of her baptism. She's just amazing. Praise be to God. Thank you. All right. So let's, uh, yeah, you guys right here. And everybody else, that's fine. Karen, you get on that side. And uh, you'll take the pictures. See, we're all set. The candidates for holy baptism will now be presented. We present. Present Luke Southern May to receive the sacrament of baptism. Okay. There you go. Well, you, by your prayer and witness, help this child to grow in the full stature of Christ. I will with God's help. Okay. Do you renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness to rebel against God? Yes. Do you renounce the evil powers of this world that corrupt and destroy the creatures of God? I renounce. Do you renounce all sinful desires that draw you from the love of God? Do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Savior? I do. Do you put your whole trust in his grace and love? I do. Do you promise to follow and obey him as your Lord? I do. Will you who witness these vows do all in your power to support Luke and his life in Christ? We will. Then please stand. Let us join with those who are committing themselves to Christ and renew our own baptismal vows. Do you believe in God the Father? 
I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in God the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Will you continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers? I will, with God's help. And will you persevere in resisting evil, and whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord? I will, with God's help. Will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ? I will, with God's help. Will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? I will, with God's help. And will you strive for justice and peace among all people and respect the dignity of every human being, born and unborn? I will, with God's help. Let us now pray for Luke, who is to receive the sacrament of new birth. Deliver him, O Lord, from the way of sin and death. Lord, hear our prayer. Open his heart to your grace and truth. Lord, hear our prayer. Fill him with your holy and life-giving spirit. Lord, hear our prayer. Keep him in the faith and communion of your holy church. Lord, hear our prayer. Teach him to love others in the power of the Spirit. Lord, hear our prayer. Send him into the world and witness to your love. Lord, hear our prayer. Bring him to the fullness of your peace and glory. Lord, hear our prayer. Grant, O Lord, that all who are baptized into the death of Jesus Christ, your Son, may live in the power of his resurrection and look for him to come again in glory, who lives and reigns now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. Also with you. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. We thank you, Almighty God, for the gift of water. Over it, the Holy Spirit moved in the beginning of creation. Through it, you led the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt into the land of promise. In it, your son Jesus received the baptism of John and was anointed by the Holy Spirit as the Messiah, the Christ, to lead us through his death and resurrection from the bondage of sin into everlasting life. We thank you, Father, for the water of baptism. In it, we're buried with Christ in his death. By it we share in his resurrection, and through it we're reborn by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in joyful obedience to your Son, we bring into fellowship those who come to him in faith, baptizing him in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now sanctify this water, we pray you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that those who are here cleansed from sin and born again may continue forever in the risen life of Jesus Christ, our Savior. To him, to you, to the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. Luke. 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 Luke.
go through, may I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the, oh yeah, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> yeah, we probably should have prepped you, I'm sure. <laughs> Amen. Luke, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that by water and the Holy Spirit, you bestowed upon this your servant the forgiveness of sin and raised him to a new life of grace. Sustain him, O Lord, in your Holy Spirit, giving him inquiring and discerning heart, the courage to will and persevere, a spirit to know and love you, and the gift of joy and wonder in all your works. You are a good one, boy, I'll tell you. He will not cry. <laughs> Let us welcome the newly baptized. We receive you into the household of God. Confess the faith of Christ crucified. Proclaim his resurrection and share with us with the eternal priesthood. Okay, here's a little stole. He's a priest. And uh, Dad, we'll let you worry about that. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Turn to greet your neighbor with the peace of God. <laughs> Congratulations. Peace of the Lord. We'll do anything to get that out here, won't we? Well, what an amazing, uh, fun time we uh, had here uh, last night and, and yesterday. You know, yeah. I, I I just can't get over what a tremendous blessing God has given us in, in our facility here downtown. I mean, it just gets... More obvious every year to me is we have these amazing events here that are such a witness to our community of the presence of God in this place. Yeah, I want to thank everybody that was involved in uh, putting that on and sending this latest couple off into the world of marriage. Amen. All right, I have a couple of just uh, church announcements. Uh, Trunk or Treat is coming up on Halloween night. Uh, talk to Bethany or my wife uh, if you want to participate in that. I think we'll be watching a movie out here in the parking lot as well as uh, people bring their cars and uh, they'll decorate them and they'll have candy for the kids. So encourage anyone who wants to do that, uh, just get in touch with Bethany and come on out. Uh, also, uh, the Men's Retreat. Uh, 
we're, we've got all of our sign-ups here, but I want you to know anyone who, if it's on your heart to go to the men's retreat, I'm going to get you in there. Uh, so come and talk to me uh, if you want to go, if you need a ride, whatever it may be. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll do our best to make a way for you to come up there. And so if you still want to sign up, let me know, and we'll see what we can do, okay? Uh, and we also have our annual missions offering coming up. I know we've mentioned that a couple of times. Uh, just, I would say, see the CEC website uh, for all the details on that. Amen. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. But do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God.
Thank you, Lord. We welcome all baptized believers to receive the body and blood of Christ. This is the table of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come if you have much faith. Come if you have little. Come if you've been here often and come if you haven't been here long. You who've tried to follow, you who failed, you come. Because it's the Lord who invites you. It's his will that those who want him should meet him here. So come this morning to the table. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through his cross and resurrection, he freed us from sin and death and called us to the glory that's made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart. Everywhere we proclaim your mighty work, for you call us out of darkness into your own wonderful light. And so with all the choir of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory, and we join in their unending hymn of praise. Let your Holy Spirit come upon these gifts to make them holy, so they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he's given up to death, and death he freely accepted. He took bread, he gave you thanks, and he broke it and gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Later, when supper was ended, he took the cup, and again he gave thanks and praise, and he gave the cup to his disciples and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us proclaim this 
mystery of faith. Christ Christ has died, died. Christ Christ is risen, and Christ Christ will come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread and this saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world. Make us grow in love together with our patriarch, Craig, and all of the clergy. Remember those who were sick or infirmed in spirit, soul, or body. We hold up today Susan and Naomi and Sandra, Sandra, Karen, Tammy, Denisha, Daniel, Catherine, the Burke family, the House family, the Marines and sailors at Camp Pendleton, and all those serving in our armed forces. You may add names of those who you are praying for. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken, and as we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles and the martyrs, all the saints who have gone before us. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ, by him and with him and in him in the unity of the Holy Spirit. All honor and glory is yours, Almighty God and Father, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and we have courage to pray. Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah, Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us thy peace. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on them in your heart with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to the table.
I want to encourage all you men to uh, do everything you can to make the uh, the men's retreat. It's going to be really amazing this year. I just finished a uh, clergy conference for the Western United States, uh, and it's, we're just going to get a, a, a tremendous turnout, uh, I believe, from all of those people as well. Uh, there's a real resurgence that God is beginning. I believe it, just as he birthed the, the movement here at this little church, that the, the, the resurgence, the revisit is going to begin here too. God's been saying anything to you, Mia? Well, even at the retreat, you were sitting on a word, but which you don't do. But I want to really encourage you. God really gave me a just a sense of a fresh anointing on you. And I, of all things, to have a woman bring us in the prophetic. But I'm not God. <laughs> Let us pray. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart through Christ our Lord. Amen. Say, Michael, the archangel, defend us in the battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world seeking the ruin of our souls. Remember the gospel. God was in Christ Jesus reconciling. That's his business. Reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against us. And he loves us. He's forgiven us. He's not mad at us. And he'll never, never leave us. He'll never forsake you. And the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you. And remain with you always. Amen.